What is up? Welcome to another edition of the Utilization Report slash Sheesh Report. My name is Marcus Grant. Glad to be with you here as we put a bow on week 11, get into week 12. It is Thanksgiving week, so a whole lot going on. Uh, and uh, to help me get through it, uh, Dwayne McFarlane off today, but joined, of course, as always, by Ian Harditz. Excited to get through this one. Ian, look, we had a whole show sheet all written out. We have all kinds of stuff. And then literally moments before we start, wake up, babe. New OC firing just <laughs> dropped. Matt Canada uh, is no longer the offensive coordinator there in Pittsburgh. Uh, beyond that, though, a whole lot going on, man. I'm glad I'm glad you're here with me because we got we got a lot to dive into today, man. Great day, be great as always, Marcus. Maybe not for uh, you know Canada, our brothers in the north, and particularly you know the uh, you know much criticized OC out of Pittsburgh. But yeah, Marcus, week freaking twelve. We got about forty days here until Championship Sunday, man. I am ready to get after it. Absolutely. So we're going to dive into uh, some of the things that we saw in the week, uh, the Sheesh Report, of course, and then uh, diving into some utilization, which, by the way, you can always check out uh, Dwayne's utilization report over at FantasyLife.com. You can get in on the utilization suite of tools as well to uh, help you get better and smarter at whatever it is you are doing with your football experience. But let's start in Pittsburgh, where... Uh, much like the folks at Sh at South Park, the Steelers have decided to blame Canada. Uh, he's been on the hot seat for a while. Uh, the fans have certainly been unhappy chanting fire Canada. Then on Sunday, you had Najee Harris, uh, who seemed like he was at his wits end with the way the offense was running. So Matt Canada no longer employed by the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, I mean, Ian, look, it's been it's been awful offensively for this team for a long time. I believe it's now 58 straight games. They have gone with fewer than 400 yards of offense. Oof. They've been outgained in every single game. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it goes back to I, I was I was told by Andrew Siciliano that the last time they gained 400 yards in a game, not only was Ben Roethlisberger still the quarterback, it wasn't Ben's last year in Pittsburgh. It's been that long. <laughs> Uh, this was a move that just had to happen at this point. Yeah, because, I mean, if you're not going to blame Canada here, like then it's going to have to go down onto the players. And the really weird thing is, to your point, I mean, these previous years with even a wash version of Big Ben, seeing Deontay Johnson put up legit wide receiver one numbers, seeing Najee Harris, even as a rookie, you know, put forward RB1 numbers, we had seen this group of players, again, maybe not be the class of the league on offense, but be a, at least a sure as hell a lot better than the product we've seen over these past three seasons seasons Marcus so overall points per game since Canada took over in 2021 21st 26th and this year 28th the Steelers have infamously been outgained in each and every one of their contests this season so Mike Tomlin's gonna do Mike Tomlin things which is you know reach that 500 record each and every year but yeah now maybe <laughs> just maybe Marcus we do get a bit more just stability over there on offense so it does come you know with the reality that hey guess what another situation where we thought simply subbing out the the OC in New England hasn't exactly, you know, come to fruition with a bunch of immediate fantasy changes. So I am one of, you know, many who do believe the uh, Jimmys and Joes are a bit more important than the X's and O's out here. But unlike New England, again, we actually do, I think, have a lot of bona fide talent in the year 2023 going on in Pittsburgh. So I'm hopeful, Marcus, that we do see, you know, bigger games out of Deontay Johnson and hopefully uh, Jalen Warren here moving forward. Maybe Najee and Pickens as well, but beggars can't be choosers. But all 
in all, man, just a great day for Steelers fans, for fantasy managers with Steelers on them. Never want to see a guy lose his job, but at this point, Marcus, man, tough to really, you know, you don't need more than one hand to count the number of offenses that have been worse than Pittsburgh over the last three years. <laughs> and I think ultimately the decision when you evaluated that production versus the talent they have, it was just too much to overcome. The wild part about this is that this team could still win somewhere in the neighborhood of, of 10 games, possibly. I mean, next week they've got the Bengals uh, with Jake Browning. They've got the Patriots in a couple of weeks. They have the Bengals one more time uh, in week 16. Uh, so that that's potentially nine wins right there. If they could squeak out another one somewhere along the way, this could be a 10-win team, despite not having any semblance uh, of a consistent offense. Madness. Just sort of amazing there. Madness. Uh, speaking of not having a consistent offense, they're the New York Jets who have made the decision uh, that they are no longer going to ride with Zach Wilson. So instead, Ian, they turned to Tim Boyle, a man who I, look, I don't know what his high school stats were, but certainly in college and in the NFL, he has never thrown more touchdowns at interceptions. So this is the man that the Jets are turning their offense over to. Uh, I guess I wish them good luck, and I'm not sure what else to say about that. <laughs> yeah, I actually heard uh, RG3, I think, put it best on the Monday night uh, broadcast last night, where the biggest thing going in you know, Tim Boyle's favor right now is the fact his name isn't Zach Wilson. So who is the more talented quarterback at the end of the day? You probably have to go with Zach still. He was a number two overall pick for a reason, and as bad as things usually are more Sundays than not, you do get those glimpses of the sort of arm talent that, again, made him that you know tantalizing prospect back in the day to begin with so I know I know guys like far 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 more bad than good here but coach Robert Sala even said afterwards like this was supposed to be more so that redshirt year that they were hoping to finally get for Zach learn under Aaron Rodgers but obviously three or four plays in the season that pipe dream was obviously undone so rough 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 man and then just you know looking at Zach like this is my problem Marcus because as much as I do love the occasional no look pass and his ability to get outside the pocket it's three years <laughs> of this man it's three years since 2021 and among 50 qualified quarterbacks we're talking about the league's third worst signal caller in pff passing grade he's 45th in yards per attempt 49th in passer rating again you're not going to find any metrics out there that paint wilson has anything other than a terrible quarterback so while tim boyle to your point doesn't exactly have much better stats on his side at least they haven't been quite as consistent as zach over these past three seasons so i'd like to think we're going to see you know better just uh, consistent production from gary at Wilson the rest of the way but Honestly, Marcus, before last week, and even with those, you know, handful of targets he got, we've seen Garrett be getting consistent double-digit targets week in and week out. He was still pacing for over 1,200 receiving yards before last week's dud. Still very much going to be more so that boom or, you know, more likely bust wide receiver two despite the quarterback change. Yeah, it's been it's been up and down. He's been the one guy, though, that if you're riding with a Jets pass catcher, it has been Garrett Wilson. Oh, yeah. We'll see what happens. Look, everybody loves the backup quarterback until the backup quarterback gets in the game. <laughs> so we'll see how long Jets fans uh, are cool with Tim Boyle. Uh, you know, it's, it's a shame this didn't happen a couple weeks ago because we, we could have maybe had a Tim Boyle versus Tommy DeVito game. Oh, man. Uh, interesting, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. Um, anyway. Uh, over to Minnesota, where Justin Jefferson is progressing toward coming back after that hamstring injury. Uh, and you put here in the show sheet the, the quote from Kevin O'Connell about uh, being smart, basically. And, and, and that sounds like with the Vikings having a bye in week 13, 
that maybe we don't see him this week? I don't know what your take on that is. Yeah, I mean, I was more optimistic before kind of last week, Marcus, because we actually had seen the return to practice and the fact that Jefferson was out there limited and being listed as questionable seemed like he was going to have a chance to get back here before the bye, but not looking that way anymore. So it's not going to impact, you know, the 21-day to return window because the bye isn't included in that. But yeah, with the Bears here coming up next, it is on Monday night, so maybe they do have an extra you know, long week to get him right. But specifically from head coach Kevin O'Connell, it's one of those things that knowing you have the bye and knowing there are five critical games to come after that bye, we do have to be smart. So again, just reading between the lines there, Marcus, sure doesn't seem like JJ is going to be on the right side of questionable. So unfortunate because we do have a smash spot against the Bears here. But still, after that bye, they're going to get the Raiders, the Bengals, the Lions, and the Packers up until week 17. So Jefferson, I mean, averaging 114.2 passing yard, I mean, receiving yards per game you guys don't need me to tell you that he's going to be a weekly wide receiver one once he is healthy enough to get back there in the lineup and I just think the good news here Marcus I mean we've had these situations with guys like Kyler and now JJ where it's like will the team even be competitive enough to warrant bringing them off IR at the end of the season right. and <laughs> per a New York Times playoff probability calculator they do give Minnesota a 74% chance of making the playoffs so still very much competitive not saying they're gonna make a Super Bowl run but I do think we're going to still see some very nice fantasy days from Justin Jefferson down the stretch, right when it matters most in the fantasy playoffs. Yeah, I think that's going to be the important part. Certainly for fantasy managers, definitely for the Vikings. Right now, like the old if the season ended today, uh, the Vikings are the number seven seed in the NFC. So at the moment, they are sitting in a playoff spot. So uh, I guess that that sort of lessens the panic to rush Jefferson back, knowing that uh, look, you can get a win possibly against the Bears this weekend, take the bye, and then come back full strength uh, after the week off and uh, make that run at the end of the season. The Rams in a different situation because their playoff hopes are fading. They are four and six. They lose at home or actually they, they hold on and win one at home, I should say, against the uh, the Seahawks. But things uh, not looking great. They are checking on Cooper Cup's ankle. And this is uh, a spot we felt like we were in at the start of the season where he was dealing with an injury. Now he is day to day. Uh, Puka Nakua is still there doing his thing, Ian. But I, I got to admit, the last few weeks, have not been great for the Rams offense. They have not been great for Cooper Cup. Uh, This feels like a maybe take a week off and get healthy, but I know for fantasy managers, you've been waiting a long time to get this guy in your lineup. Yeah, and just again, seeing one of these, you know, nicks and bruises after another, it's been this way for the better part of the last two seasons now. And sadly, Marcus, I think, you know, maybe just a situation of, uh, you know, relatively elderly wide receiver just, you know, is not quite being at 100% (laughs) as often these days. So uh, it is a low ankle sprain for what that's worth. Uh, Shout out to Roto World's Denny Carter who pointed out it's among the two or three lowest ankle sprains in modern history. So it is uh, pretty (laughs) comical, you know, how we get the high versus low uh, going on here sometimes but yeah look honestly I know it has been rough we're gonna talk about a miss a sheesh I should say that Stafford and Cup missed out on here in this previous week but again still the reigning defending back-to-back wide receiver one in PPR points per game you're obviously going to be back to firing Cup up as soon as he is healthy enough to get back out there on the field but wouldn't be surprising if we are going to miss him for at least a week or two and with that Marcus that puts us right back in that upside wide receiver one conversation for one Puka Nakua I mean the hard Target totals during the first month of the year without Cup 
15, 27, and 10 in those four appearances. Cleared 100 yards in three of those four games. So absolutely, you know, electric talent. And now he's also going to be sharing with sharing the field with fellow early season star Kyron Williams, who Sean McVay said they are expecting to activate off IR and be ready to go for Week 12. So you know, Marcus, not ideal. We all we all want Cooper Cup to be out there, but hey, we do condense this passing tree down just a bit. Puka Nakua, Kyron Williams, locked and loaded in the fantasy football lineups of all shapes and sizes. Maybe even guys like Tyler Higby and one two two Atwell can get going a bit as well. So. Puka, Kyron, I'm sure everyone out there is starting them, you know, regardless of this and more leagues than not. But I would say 2-2 is kind of the bigger takeaway here because in those four games without Cup, he had eight, nine, nine, and nine targets out there. pint size Speaster only needs one target to go right to really make a big boom in that box score. Real nice fantasy flex option for at least this week and really, man, Bimageddon coming up here again here in week uh, 13 if you need it. Yeah, which, you look, I, I mean, I know that Roger Goodell doesn't necessarily read the emails that I send him, but I'm still trying to get him to, to work on not having six teams on a bye <sighs> this late in a season. Uh, you're killing Marcus, me, it's so bad, man. <laughs> I was I looking at some of my leagues last night and, you know, getting, getting a little ahead of myself looking into week 12, and I accidentally hit the arrow button one more time and saw some of these squads in week 13, <laughs> man. Just It's like, all right, well, I guess we'll just chalk up that L there and uh, move on. Yeah, uh, man, just and it's so it's so close to the start of the playoffs in some leagues. Uh, it's just really, really frustrating. Uh, it makes a guy want to say sheesh, which is a good way to get to the sheesh report, which Ian writes, and you can find every week uh, over at FantasyLife.com with a fancy little graphic there with all the uh, the digital the digital glitching and everything. Um, Look, there there were a lot of big drops this week. I know everybody pointed to the Quentin Johnston drop, which could have been a game-winning touchdown for the Chargers. But, Ian, that was not the only drop that Justin Herbert probably uh, you know, laid awake thinking about at night after that Charger game. You could see the frustration, Marcus. I mean, by the fourth quarter, I think they had like a delay game or something. He just took the ball and spiked it into the ground. And honestly, it's tough to blame the guy. I know there's been a lot of, you know, oh, you know, this or that. Herbert doesn't get enough help. I saw a tweet that was like, name a famous historical battle without Googling it. And it was like Justin Herbert versus the word if. So I get it. We give the guy a lot of benefit <laughs> of the doubt here over the years. But seriously, four, if not five, drives were directly killed by drops last Sunday. We had Keenan Allen drop what I don't think was going to be a seven-yard touchdown, but at a minimum would have given them a fresh set of downs at the one-yard line. That killed one drive. We also had Keenan straight up drop a seven-yard touchdown. Some was seemingly in his eyes, but man, hit him in the chest. That was Shishi. We had Stone Smart, because you got to get Stone Smart involved, drop a 10-yard touchdown. And the one that everyone probably saw was there at the end, Quentin Johnston. I don't think it would have been a 70-yard house call Marcus but it at least would have been good for 40 set them up for the game tying field goal attempt and giving them a chance to win the football game so hell Donald Parham let a you know fourth and four conversion on the game's first or second drive go through his hands as well so Herbert ended up being PFF's highest graded quarterback of the week and I'm sure fantasy managers were fine with the performance still threw for two touchdowns had over those 70 rushing yards but man if you didn't watch the game no idea how close Herbert and company were to putting up some huge numbers on the scoreboard yeah, it was it was rough. You talk about the Keenan Allen one too. He seemed like he was battling the sun all yeah. day. I mean, just the one that 
literally hit him between the one and the three <laughs> and bounced off. Like you don't you don't see that with Keenan Allen. He had to be staring into the sun for something like that. Um, Baker Mayfield, and I, I watched a good portion of that game between the Bucks and the 49ers. And I'll say this, Mayfield made some really good throws. He made some really questionable throws, too, and probably got away with a number <laughs> of interceptions, but also made a lot of good throws. Uh, there were a couple late in the game. Uh, look, I mean, the Niners ended up winning by multiple scores, so I don't know if it necessarily matters, but maybe it matters, uh, Ian. It certainly matters for fantasy folks that you had some drop passes there. Yeah, and you're spot on, Marcus. And I was also quickly reminded uh, of this by all the 49ers fans out there who thought I was hating when I pointed this out. So several dropped interceptions on Sunday. I get it. Baker hasn't gone out here and exactly been a top five quarterback this year. But man, you know, I know the kind of comeback player of the year race probably just, you know, deservingly going to DeMar Hamlin for everything he's been through just getting back out here. But if we did kind of take that possibility off the table, I think it's Russell Wilson and Baker Mayfield really emerging as those top two. Obviously, Russ's team having a bit more you know success you know in the win-loss column so he's probably going to get the benefit of the doubt there but this is just the latest example Marcus of Baker really doing everything in his power there in the fourth quarter to come back and it's just not coming to fruition so lest we forget man week seven he drives for the game time field goal with just 49 seconds left Falcons rush down the field and kick a game winning field goal week eight we had that Hail Mary against the Bills that literally flew right past Chris Goblin's head could have should have would have been that game winner week nine I mean he throws the go-ahead touchdown with only 49 seconds left. C.J. Stroud and company run right down the field and win the game anyway. And now, most recently, we are sheeshing about not one, but two fourth-quarter touchdown drops Marcus in a 13-point loss. So, Devin Tompkins and Cade Otten probably not changing your fantasy scoreboards. I get it. But Baker Mayfield, man, between these two and that brutal Mike Evans drop from last week, I mean, it's not outrageous to say he should have 18 passing touchdowns this year, which would be more than guys like Jared Goff and CJ Stroud. So look, Stroud and Goff, far, far, far better than Baker this year. That's not the argument I'm trying to make. But hey, the bar, the expectations for this Buccaneers offense, Marcus, couldn't have been lower going in. And at a minimum, Baker has Mike Evans on pace to go for over 1,300 yards, keeping that 1K streak going. So hey, I think we should at least be thankful for that. Absolutely thankful for that because I was firmly of the opinion that the streak was going to end this yeah. year with Baker at quarterback, but uh, I forgot that Baker's going to YOLO it and just <laughs> throw it to Mike and figure out a way to make plays, and that has uh, been what happened so far this year. Uh, normally, we talk about sheeshes. It's usually because the player dropped the ball. When you look at the Zay Flowers touchdown, I guess it's because the refs dropped the ball and called a penalty where there probably wasn't one this this week happened all the way last thursday so i don't blame anyone for you know forgetting about it or just blocking out of your mind honestly if you could uh, have those superpowers but yep 68 yard house call on the screen sadly nullified on really what seemed like a ticky tack holding call by odo beckham jr i mean marcus i remember being in middle school because i was never a very good blocker i played defense back in the day but like they would try to teach us like it's okay if you hold but you keep your hands inside i mean there's holding on every single football play it's when the you know defender starts trying to go right or left and then you need to let go because that's when it's going to become clear out there but yeah man sadly obj did let go the rest decided screw that we're going to call you for a hold anyway so maybe needs to take that uh bill belichick advice that julian edelman has discussed where you want to wear the same color gloves as your opponent's uniform to hopefully not uh, show things out but i get it swag's got to be uh, up there on the list as well so still plenty of good <laughs> things from obj still plenty of good things from Zay but man Marcus I uh, did not like that call and I think that is up there already for one of the sheeshes of the year yeah that one uh and like I immediately think of the uh, the Amari Cooper oh. uh 
called called out of bounds when he was uh, nowhere near so out of bounds. Uh, that one, that one, that one's frustrating too. At least the good news is, at least if you have Lamar Jackson, uh, he gets the tipped pass to Nelson Aguilar for a touchdown just after that. So at least for Lamar Jackson managers, uh, you end up getting the points. That, that was such Talk a, a ball don't Cup. lie yeah. moment, Marcus. Like I know we yeah. see a lot more in basketball. 100%. You don't have the chance to come right back, but yeah, the tip pass to Aguilar there, absolute. You know, thank you, football gods, for that karma. Hundred uh, percent. We talked a little bit about Cooper Cup and the ankle injury. The the sheesh between him and Matthew Stafford. That was a sheesh to me, Ian, because you don't see Stafford and Cup miss each other like that very often. I mean, that was uh, kind of a head scratcher at how those two guys got crossed up on that play. It was weird, man. Like technically, it is going into the stat book as a drop, and it did end up hitting Cooper Cup in his hands. Which, when that happens, you expect the ball to be caught. But yeah, it was an offside, so free play, and the entire coverage just lost Cooper Cup. You know, deep in the secondary, Stafford, I think, tried to probably be a little too perfect with the wide open receiver and just lofting it up there. Cup kind of got twisted around, turning for it. And yeah, guys, end of the day, could have, should have, would have been a 35 yard touchdown. Sadly, it was nothing more than an incomplete sheesh. So, Cup ended up leaving early. Obviously, you know, we already discussed his uh, low ankle sprain just to, you know, drive that point home. But, yeah, guys, sadly, could have, should have, would have had an extra 10 or so fantasy points to that total before being forced out of action early. And, of course, the last one, the, the one that is most recent and fresh in our minds, uh, Marquez Valdez Scantling. A chance possibly win the game for the Kansas City Chiefs. And he, I guess for lack of a better description, pulled a Quentin Johnston on that one. What's so funny about it, Marcus, is I literally tweeted like 20 minutes before MBS drops this 51-yard dime of a touchdown that maybe would have won the game and at least would have put the Chiefs up, you know, with two minutes or less remaining. So obviously would have given them a great chance. Mahomes hysterically said afterwards he could have thrown it a little shorter. No, you couldn't have, man. That was a perfect pass and MBS <laughs> let it go right off. More like MBS. V sheesh, am I right? But yeah, but no, Marcus, but like 15 minutes before that, I tweeted like that was the most MVS play ever. And people ended up thinking I was talking about that. But like 10 minutes before that, man, <laughs> Mahomes threw it deep. And MVS, if he had just kept running, seemed like he was going to go right under it. But instead, he starts twisting for a ball that was never thrown over his other shoulder in the first place and just completely takes himself out of the play. Even Mahomes afterwards was pointing at him like, just keep running, man. So all the speed in the world. I mean, pretty much like just modern day Pete Wheeler, I think is what we have here in MBS. Honestly, maybe some disrespect to a uh, Pete Wheeler in that one, but yeah, then right after man, Justin Watson, potential fourth and 25 conversion. That pass goes right through his hands. She needs some help, man. And when you start looking at, you know, Sky Moore, Rasheed Rice, not that Rice hasn't done some good things this year. They decide not to go in on DeAndre Hopkins. I mean, hey, won the Super Bowl last year without, you know, too much help around Mahomes and Kelsey. We'll see if they can uh, get it going again right now, but certainly didn't look great here in week 11. Well, there didn't seem to be a lot of help in Kansas City altogether for Mahomes because I don't know if you saw the video. After the game, he went and tossed his gloves to some fans in the stands, and they dropped those. So apparently <laughs> – oh, no. Uh, not a lot of folks helping out Patrick Mahomes catching the ball or catching gloves or anything uh, in Kansas City right now. So uh, be sure, of course, to go check out the Sheesh Report over at FantasyLife.com. Ian, watching all the things that you may not have time to uh, to let you know about the things that maybe you should be frustrated about because they didn't go your, go your way in fantasy or in betting. Uh, all right, let's dive into the utilization report. Normally, that is Dwayne's bailiwick, but uh, we will we will muddle on without him this week. Uh, of course, though, he wrote he writes the column, which you can check out at Fantasy Life. The first thing is Justin Fields returns 
and thank goodness, not only for fantasy managers, but for the Bears, for DJ Moore. Uh, and look, I know there's been a big conversation for the last year or two about whether or not Justin Fields is the guy going forward in Chicago. Uh, I mean, Ian, look, the numbers aren't always spectacular, but when he is right and playing his brand of football, you see how effective he can be for that Bears offense. Shout out to uh, the ringer, Steven Ruiz, always updating his quarterback rankings, does a great job with everything. Definitely, uh, you know, nose ball type of guy um, over there. But with Fields, like just a little one liner, he says like he puts the ever living fear of God into opposing defenses right until the moment that he releases the football. So it has been, again, a little bit up and down <laughs> as a passer. But from a rusher, Marcus, again, we saw it last year when he ripped off the second most rushing yards in a single season in NFL history behind only Lamar Jackson. And we weren't quite getting that early on in 2023 but hey when he started throwing for four plus touchdowns per week it was just fine but great to see in a week Marcus where the Bears had a minus 17 percent drop back rate over expectation we're more than willing to keep on keeping on on the ground for fields to be so involved with that I mean from the first drive on you could see the QB sweeps to the left and right read option plays where fields was more willing to keep the ball he looked great out there on the ground accordingly set season high marks in both design rush attempts and high to season high mark in terms of scrambles. So just looking at him and again, you can see all this information and more in Dwayne's ever fantastic utilization report, but Overall, guys, he's averaging 9.7 rush attempts per game and 20.3 fantasy points in his six healthy starts this season. Since 2008, quarterbacks with nine or more attempts per game have averaged 21 fantasy points per contest. All that to say, we are looking at a rock-solid mid-tier QB1 moving forward with the potential for those upside QB1 spikes. So they get the Vikings before the bye, Marcus. And I just wonder, like, can we get a couple games down the stretch of this version of Fields on the ground way some of that passing goodness we saw against the Broncos and Commanders before the injury because again if you do that we are talking about a legit Josh Allen level sort of fantasy football cheat code yeah and on top of it I mean the schedule is not terrible for him the rest of the way I mean they got one more game against the Lions who defensively have started to yeah. leak a little bit the last few weeks uh, and then they finish out the playoffs with the Fal- the Cardinals and the Ooh. Falcons now somewhere in there they also have the Browns and that one's one that you know maybe <laughs> Uh, if you can stay away from it, maybe you try to stay away from that one. But uh, other than that, a decent schedule down the stretch. So if he can get hot, uh, could help a lot of folks win some championships there. In Seattle, I thought Zach Charbonnet was coming for Kenneth Walker's job from the moment he was drafted. It has taken a couple of months, uh, but between Walker underperforming and Walker also getting hurt, uh, maybe we'll be sipping Chardonnay or Charbonnet <laughs> up there uh, in the Pacific Northwest sometime soon. I mean, is he coming? Is he actually truly coming for Kenneth Walker's gig? Oh, your transitions kill me, Marcus. You're the goat for a reason. But Thanks. yeah, man, with uh, the Charbonnet <laughs> RB1 workhorse season, never want to see it come like this, obviously, with uh, Kenneth Walker suffering the oblique injury. Luckily, it doesn't seem like it's going to be putting him on IR. Always tough to tell exactly how uh, Pete Carroll's injury updates are going to be a going, but are going to go. But certainly seems like he will be missing this Thursday's game here against the 49ers. So yeah, man, and based on what we saw, like we are looking at 20 plus combined carries and targets on a weekly basis for Charbonnet because Marcus, and I'm sure one of the reasons why you loved him so much coming out of college was the fact that we have a running back with the three down size, you know, 215 plus pounds and all the pass down ability in the world, which he already had before this injury even happened. So the main concern here was going to be if like DJ Dallas or maybe a healthy Kenny McIntosh could come 
come in there and just form more of a committee here. But we did have DJ Dallas active last week, and that just wasn't the case. 85% snaps, 71% of the team's rush attempts for Charbonnet. And again, that's on top of the two-minute and long down-and-distance work he already had even before the Walker injury. So, you know, available in 56% of fantasy leagues. I understand if all of you listening right now are sad that you are in those 44% of leagues where he is not available. <laughs> I know, I know. It's one of these. How is he available? But just realize, guys, it's week 12. If Zach Charbonnet is on your waiver wire, please, for the love of God, use every last cent of fab you have to get him because we could be very much looking at a legit upside RB1 down the stretch. The only problem, Marcus, and it's a small one because that running back, you know, if we're getting 20-plus touches in a good offense, the schedule, you know, is kind of a distant third or fourth factor in our start-sit decisions. But, man, schedule gods not doing any favors here. They get the 49ers this week <laughs> and the Cowboys and the Niners again. Eagles, Titans, and Steelers through Week 17. So, haven't seen the Titans run defense be nearly the same juggernaut in recent weeks. And again, I think Charbonnet, based on some of the pass down work, like you could argue if he's going to have the same every down role, facing some of these lethal front sevens, more targets, maybe it's a net positive for in, in fantasy land. So won't be easy. And it's going to be the reason why he's maybe ranked closer to RB12 than RB1. But either way, man, you are starting this dude moving forward each and every week that Kenny Walker remains sidelined. Yeah, and I would say before you jump out there and say, where is Zach Charbonnet available? Just just check. Just check your waiver wire because uh, every once in a while, I've, I've, right, you know, I've, I've heard of folks saying like so-and-so is not available in my league and then they check them like, oh, look, this guy's actually, <laughs> he actually is here on the waiver wire. So uh, maybe just just take a scroll before you say anything. Um, we know, unfortunately, Mark Andrews is done for the year. I, I've heard the rumblings that maybe there's an outside shot he comes back, but I don't know that it helps us for any fantasy purposes. So... Uh, does this mean, Ian, that we go back to seeing the likely 80 memes, right? The, how many targets is he going to get today? And they, they show the back of his jersey. Uh, th does that happen? But I guess the, the more pertinent question is, can we count on him uh, to be a you know, close to tight end one every week? Depends on which, uh, you know, sample you want to look at for likely, because we did get three games last year where he had a route rate north of 80%, and he looked every bit like maybe not the Mark Andrews tight end one we've grown accustomed to seeing in Andrews, but still someone we really could rely on each and every week. I mean, we're talking about overall tight end two, tight end three, and tight end nine finishes in those games. And it was a big reason why I was willing to draft so much Isaiah Likely in the final round of fantasy drafts. I considered him the only handcuffed tight end out there actively worth pursuing and that has not come to fruition so far in 2023 so i haven't eaten my l so far but the clock has not struck midnight just yet on this season marcus and i do think we could see some better days ahead for it likely so i know in week one no mark andrews only caught one pass for four yards and then last week we got a goose egg after andrews was forced out of action still though guys we're talking about an elite 88 percent route participation that is every down type of work here i mean we're usually happy if tight ends can get a 70 or 75 5% clip here, 88%. I cannot stress enough how great that is. So only a 5% target share last week, but that number is a little bit skewed. He was actually the intended target on that aforementioned Nelson Aguilar tip drill touchdown. Also had a catch <laughs> taken off the board because of a penalty and another, you know, wonkiness going on with a PBU. So, hey, I get it. A goose egg is a goose egg at the 
end the day in fantasy land. But I do think, and Dwayne, you know, agrees here in his utilization report, there is Dalton Kincaid, Trey McBride-esque level of upside here moving forward, especially if we're going to see any of these Ravens wide receivers, especially OBJ dealing with the shoulder miss time as well. So Lamar Jackson still very much on the short list for MVP. The passing game in Baltimore has looked far more good than bad all season long. So at a minimum, Marcus, we have an every down tight end with a track record of legit high-end talent at the position. I do think he deserves, you know, big time consideration for tight end needy teams. Maybe not quite cracking the top 12 this week, but certainly imagine he'll be top 15 with plenty of room to rise should we see those counting numbers catch up with the already great utilization on hand. I mean, look, we go back to last year in the preseason when Likely sort of broke out with a couple of big preseason games. He played well when Mark Andrews was dealing with some nagging injuries. Uh, If there's one thing that we can count on from the Baltimore Ravens, they will have a quality tight end on the roster. I guess that's what happens when you have a Hall of Fame legendary tight end in the front office uh, helping make some of these personnel decisions in Ozzie Newsom. Just a guess. Don't know. Um, (laughs) Adds up. Meanwhile... Yeah, meanwhile, Green Bay, uh, the Packers running game has been underwhelming, to say the least. And now you've got Aaron Jones, who's dealing with an injury. Emmanuel Wilson uh, also went out of that game injured. Uh, that, that pretty much just leaves Quadzilla. I mean, look, I'm sure they're gonna, you know, they will add some help. They've added some help. I know that. Uh, but does this mean that Quadzilla is going to rampage in the Packers' backfield from here on out? Certainly going to get the chance to. Now, I know this isn't exactly A. Aaron's first time, you know, missing some game action this season, and we didn't exactly see Dylan thrive with it, but that also was a Packers offense that didn't have Jordan Love playing as well as he is right now. Also didn't have Christian Watson in the picture. I know that hasn't exactly gone great either in recent weeks, but just realize for Dylan, the volume was there without Aaron Jones. I mean, we're talking about five games without Jones in the picture, and Dylan ripped off 15, 16, 11, 20, and 18 touches in those contests. So, no, this is not a situation where we're, you know, scratching off Jones's name in the top 15 and just throwing Dylan right back in there. But as we saw with guys like, you know, Devin Singletary, for example, over the past few weeks, sometimes we see the RB2 actually get the more fantasy-friendly role than the starter after an injury happens because the rest of the depth just isn't good enough for the team to keep on keeping on with the committee. So, I do think that's what we're going to see right now because, again, it's not just Jones, but number three RB Emmanuel. Wilson, who was a prime contender to take away a lot of the pass down work, dealing with a very severe shoulder injury in his own right. So they did sign Patrick Taylor back off the Patriots practice squad. He spent a ton of time in Green Bay this year and in past years. So maybe he does come in and take some of the pass down work. But otherwise, they brought in James Robinson. Great story. I get it. But still on, I guess, third or fourth team at this point of this season alone. And, you know, Marcus, it's going to be, again, just more of a volume based RB2 play for Mr. Quadzilla over here so hey the schedule you know they get the Lions and the Chiefs over these next two weeks you mentioned that the Lions aren't quite the same juggernaut still wouldn't call it a great matchup but God forbid this does turn into more of a long-term issue for Aaron Jones gets to close the season with the Giants the Buccaneers the Panthers and then the Vikings so again Knox not saying that Dylan's going to be this weekly RB1 start a la Zach Charbonnet without his team's RB1 in the picture but still someone that I think we're going to have a hard time ranking too low in those ranks particularly when that after mentioned six team bye comes around just next week 
James Robinson's going to be those name, one of those names where, like, in five years when we're tweeting or whatever <laughs> social media site we've all flocked to, uh, it's going to be like, name a random running back. And somebody's going to say James Robinson. We're all going to just oh, wow, yeah. I remember, <laughs> I remember that guy uh, with that, that amazing rookie season that he had coming out of nowhere there. Um, a few honorable mentions to, to kind of get through before we get out of here. Um, Travis Etienne was hot for a point, uh, and now not so much. Uh, seeing a lot more uh, of other, other guys getting in there in that Jacksonville backfield. Is there reason to be concerned about that? We're adjusting expectations. Uh, Dwayne put it great in the utilization report. Etienne goes from more of a high-end RB1, like a guy we were legit ranking in the top three, top five weekly, just down to more of, you know, maybe an RB8 to RB12 option in that lower end tier of things because it is coming off the buy. So any sort of usage changes, we should be, you know, prepared to just take a much closer look at. But over the course of these past two weeks since the buy, they have been blowout game scripts. First, the 49ers, you know, took them to the woodshed out there. And then obviously, last week you know with the Jaguars beating down the Titans and looking good doing it wasn't exactly a situation in either case where we had to see Trevor Lawrence and company keep their foot on the gas for 60 straight minutes that said Marcus I mean before that by ETM was at 81% of the team snaps 72% of the rushes and 64% of the routes in two games since those numbers have been dropping down to 64% 51% and 60% so just RB 36 and RB 20 outings that can be explained away by that that utilization so honestly like this is still rb1 level utilization the problem is that low-key travis Etienne averaging fewer yards per carry than guys like tony pollard joe mixon even Najee harris or he's right around there hasn't been his usual efficient self this year he's more so been living on that you know sky high rb1 level volume so again not you know completely uh crying over here over this or anything like that but etn someone that maybe gets uh you know down the stretch starts looking a little more like the guy we drafted him around that RB1 borderline as opposed to that league winner top five overall fantasy player type that we thought we had during the first couple months of the year. And just in case you were in a really, really deep league or you're just trying to get yourself ahead of the curve, a thing that I have noticed, it's been a lot more Deontay Johnson uh, the in the last but yeah. couple of weeks. He and Sorry, Dearness. Yes, wrong Johnson. You know who I'm talking <laughs> yeah. about. Uh, Dearness Johnson uh, in the last few weeks versus Tank Bigsby. So just you know, something to kind of keep in your back pocket right there. Uh, Jalen Warren uh, has looked like the best back in Pittsburgh for a while. I guess let's, let's go back to the top of the show where we talked about Matt Canada being let go there in Pittsburgh. Does a new play caller, does a new offensive coordinator mean that maybe we see a full transition to Jalen Warren as the lead running back in Pittsburgh? Man, Marcus, I, I hope so, because it's not just that he's in Pittsburgh. Like, yes, he's been better than Najee Harris this year, sure, but let's not make this the shit on Najee show, because Warren's been better than almost any other running back <laughs> in football this year. I mean, yards per carry, explosive run play rate, missed tackles, force per carry, yards after contact per carry. My man's Jalen Warren is first in all those among 50 qualified running backs with at least 50 carries. So it reminds me of the Pollard versus Zeke situation last year. Who was better? Absolutely Pollard, but we almost got it in our mind that Zeke was just like, like one of the league's worst running backs because of that. And again, wasn't great or anything, but it's more so, again, the discrepancy between this number two running back, Pollard, now Warren, and honestly, everyone else. And yes, that does include his own backfield running mate. So maybe the transition to Matt Canada does open things up for Warren getting getting away from Matt Canada, excuse me, uh, does get Warren, again, more weekly opportunities. But even as things are standing, Marcus, he has earned this kind of weekly low-end RB2 treatment, 11.7 rushes, 
averages 3.3 targets per game over his last three contests, been good for 19 fantasy points. So not exactly RB1 level utilization, but when we add in that sky high, absolutely elite efficiency, we've been managing to get some pretty great fantasy returns. So, hey, the overall offensive environment, as we explained at the top of the show, literally cannot get worse than Pittsburgh right now. So all things considered, might be able to have a nice little stretch run here for Jalen Warren. Uh, more running back talk. Uh, Devin Singletary, for the first time in his career, had back-to-back games with more than 100 rushing yards. Now, I know the talk in Houston right now is that Damian Pierce is still going to be the lead running back. Uh, should that be the case? Because Pierce has been incredibly inefficient, where Singletary has been much better the last few weeks. I think it's like 4.1 versus 3 is their yards per carry this season. You know, behind the same offensive line and everything. So I'm not completely saying Pierce is the root of that problem. Honestly, Singletary wasn't looking all that great on the ground before these last two weeks either. But you said it, man, especially with the way the overall offense has started grooving over these past three weeks. I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, Singletary either keeps the job or at a minimum makes this thing far closer to a 50-50 split moving forward. Maybe even, you know, 40-40-20 because Lord knows we got to keep preseason Hall of Famer Mike Boone involved down there uh, in Houston. <laughs> so, hey, as long as Pierce remains out, we are having a locked-in RB1 in Devin Singletary, though. 81% snaps, 84% of the team's rush attempts, 62% of the routes over these past three weeks. But I think more likely than not, Marcus, we see this get back to kind of an annoying committee that renders both running backs more so as RB3 flex plays who you aren't thrilled about. So, hey, hopefully Pierce is back. Certainly want to see everyone healthy but as long as he does remain sidelined, keep on keeping on with Singletary locked into that RB1 spot. It's just been a weekly reminder that I probably over-leveraged myself on Damian <sighs> Pierce across a lot of fantasy rosters this you, year. You and me I, both, brother. You and I me really both. expected better. <laughs> I really expected more this year. Ugh. Uh, we expected a lot out of Calvin Ridley. We finally got it. Uh, is Dwayne saying he's a sell high candidate here? Because here's the thing. Are we buying the Zay Jones narrative that Calvin Ridley is better with Zay Jones on the field? Or is this just is this more uh, correlation than causation sort of thing? I'm leaning towards the latter, man. We're literally going with like three and five game splits here. It's just, hey, you know, the stats say <laughs> what the stats say. But nah, I, I'm thinking more than anything. Like really adding another just good target hog potential wide receiver into the offense is going to make Ridley that much better. Like, do we really think defensive game plans are just revolving around Zay Jones each and every week out there? He's good. <laughs> we saw it last year. Like, I'm not coming here to slander Zay Jones, but I just really think that is far more noise than anything going on. I more so think, Marcus, that we saw Ridley boom last week because he still is a good NFL wide receiver, and he got to face the dog shit Titans secondary who really hadn't been tested ever since, trading Kevin Byard to the Eagles. Nice interception by the former Titans uh, safety last night, by the way. So, hey, Ridley. We saw he can boom here, and we've seen that a couple times this year. Third 100-yard performance of the season, you know, again, coming off. So, overall, that's fine. He is a boomer bust wide receiver three, and we saw the boom. But as we have seen throughout this year, going to be plenty of busts alongside with that. So, I do agree with Dwayne's, you know, sell high point if your guys' uh, trade deadlines are not up just yet. Because as we see in this offense, it's not just, you know, we, we honestly assumed it was going to be Calvin Ridley as the clear one. We thought we could live with Ridley and Kirk splitting things up. But Evan Ingram is right there as well guys I mean on the season it's Christian Kirk with the team high 77 targets then Ingram at 74 and then Ridley with 70 so Ridley's getting more down the field actions like 
you know, I'm not saying he's the number three target or anything. When we do include the air yards, you can make a case he's the number one. Either way, though, it's 1A, 1B, 1C. And Ridley, again, I don't think we can assume is going to always be the 1A week in and week out. So final note here, Marcus, I mentioned it, but Ingram, 74 targets without a touchdown this year. No other player has even 50 without a score. The man is due. He is absolutely due. It's also a reminder of where the tight end position is that he's still a top 10 tight end <laughs> despite, you know, I don't think he has a game. Because one game with more than 70 receiving yards, he doesn't have a touchdown. Um, but, yeah, there he is, like the tight end nine, depending on where you look there. Um, in Detroit, Jamison Williams slowly starting to come around. I, I want to play the Jamison Williams catch a touchdown that's less than 30 yards challenge because he hasn't done that so far in his career. And I, guess I, I guess I shouldn't complain, right, because we love big plays and we love touchdowns all in the same thing. But – uh, look, are we going to start to see Jameson Williams in more of a normal role than just you know, a guy who occasionally pops for big plays once in a while? They've been trying, and to his credit, he did actually take a screen like 15 yards for a touchdown two weeks ago, got nullified on a you know fairly ticky-tack, ineligible man downfield penalty or something like that. So we have actually started seeing Marcus more of this full-time role coming out of the bye. His route rates have increased from 34% to 55% and a career-high 66% mark last week, most notably coming in a game that even had recently acquired Donovan Peoples-Jones active for the first time this season. So it looks like the Detroit has finally settled on the Sun God, Josh Reynolds, and now Jamison Williams in three wide receiver sets. And as we know, guys, inside this Jared Goff-led passing attack, certainly a group that we can expect to put up points and big-time passing yards more weeks than not. So, look, we still got Gibbs. We still got Montgomery there. Like, I'm not expecting Jamison to go out there each and every week and start scoring these long touchdowns. But, you know, you do look at the stretch run schedule from week 14 to 17. Bears, Broncos, Vikings, then maybe a potential shootout there against the Cowboys could do worse than having again now a starter inside of the league's sixth ranked scoring offense there so Dwayne's upgrading Jamison Williams to wide receiver five status and I think he is spot on with that um in Buffalo look we know Stephon Diggs when he's right he is easily the number one receiver one of the top receivers in the league the Bills are still looking for a second receiver Dalton Kincaid's been great could Khalil Shakir sort of fill that void as the wide receiver two in Buffalo? Is that asking too much? He's doing it right now, man. I mean, we've had these four games here without Dawson Knox where they've been running a lot more three wide receiver sets. And accordingly, given Shakir this route rate north of 70%, when previously he was, you know, far more in that 30, 40%, only situational packages type of role. So, hey, man, he's impressing with it. We saw the long touchdown. Great throw by uh, Josh Allen to squeeze it, you know, right underneath Sauce mm -hmm. Gardner's arm arm on that one but making things happen after the catch and just kind of giving them that yeah kind of low ADOT intermediate option that's been lacking in this offense you know aside from Stefan Diggs so again over these past four games it's actually been Kincaid tied with Stefan Diggs for a team high 32 targets but Shakir is right up there alongside Gabe Davis as well as the big four in this passing attack so Josh Allen you know you might have heard guys he's tied for first in the NFL in interceptions but guess what he also leads the damn league in passing touchdowns and a good four or five of those <laughs> interceptions were more arm punts, drop passes that turned to picks than anything like that. So just a ridiculous narrative. And now coming off such an impressive performance against one of the league's very best secondaries, uh, Khalil Shakur is a legit low-end wide receiver three with wide receiver two upside as long as Dawson Knox remains sidelined. So I know, guys, you might want to say, well, Shakir's playing great. You know, why would they bring Dawson Knox back? Sadly, Marcus, uh, we got about 50 million reasons why the Bills are probably inclined 
inclined to keep Knox in that starting lineup more weeks than not here once he is healthy enough to do so. I mean, look, you talk about Josh Allen with the touchdowns and the interceptions. I mean, Babe Ruth at one point led in home runs and strikeouts. You know, there we go. It just happened, There right? we go. There, there's a, you know, so uh, that, that's something he can remind people of when they, they start talking about his turnovers. Uh, last one here for the early part of the season. Donald Parham was just a thorn in the side of anybody who started Gerald Everett. Now with Everett Hurts, uh, maybe Donald Parham is a thing on his own. Uh, provided, of course, you know, like the rest of the Chargers, he can catch the football right, <laughs> right in. He had that one drop, man, that was bad, but he did haul in the rest of his targets out there and generally throughout his career has looked the part of a, you know, high-end receiving option. I mean, the dude's 6'8", 235 out there. He pretty much is more of a wide receiver than a tight end to begin with. And accordingly, in Week 11, we saw a season-high 21 snaps out of the slot, 24 snaps total as a true wide receiver. So he only had one game all season where he even cleared 15 of those snaps so I think it was not only Gerald Everett missing this one with a back injury but also Jalen Guyton being ruled out after that late week groin injury so at this point man it's Keenan Allen Austin Eckler who does not look anywhere close to 100% despite being not being on the injury report and maybe just maybe man Donald Parham is going to be that next man up with you know obviously first round rookie Quentin Johnston just continuing to ride that struggle bus week in and week out so seeing Parham go out there and have a season high 68% route participation with that 15% target share in this Justin Herbert led offense man that's legit high end upside tight end two, uh you know outlook here moving forward so again a bit dependent on Gerald Everett on you know Jalen Guyton staying out of the picture but anytime we can get a full-time member of this passing game apparently not named Quentin Johnston we should be pretty happy about it here in Los Angeles <laughs> And like everybody else in that passing, pass catching group, uh, Donald Parham, a large man. I had a yeah. chance to uh, to go to, to Charger training camp, and uh, we were joking with Gerald Everett about how if the NBA, if the NFL decided they wanted to just have a five on five basketball tournament, I would put some coin on the Chargers <laughs> because they've got size in Ooh. their pass catching room. Uh, you know, uh, Everett, for what it's worth, says he's the best basketball player on the team. <laughs> I'll have to take him at his word because I don't I don't know any better there that one. So. Uh, anyway, that was a full show. Uh, Ian, glad we could be with you, man, with us, like, or with me. I don't know. Glad we could hang out for uh, 45 minutes or so. It was fun. Thankful, Marcus. <laughs> Thankful it. to be here with you and honestly be in the best week of the year. I don't know about you, man, but for my money's worth, Thanksgiving, the best holiday of the year. Food, family, football. What more could you freaking ask for? 100% on that. I've got a fridge full of stuff that I'm getting ready to cook in a couple of days uh, to meet up with the fam. So looking forward to it as well. And three really good games on TV uh, and a Black Friday game, which, you know, may or may not be good. We'll see. <laughs> but, uh, in the meantime, that's a good place for us to take a break here for the week. Uh, we appreciate you hanging out with us. By the way, go over to FantasyLife.com. Check out the utilization report. Check out our tools. Check out the Sheesh report. And while you are there, uh, sign up for the newsletter if you have not joined that community already. Uh, get that in your inbox every single day. It's been a whole lot of great information that uh, hopefully will make you a little bit smarter. In the meantime, uh, for Ian Harditz, my name is Marcus Grant. This has been the Utilization Report Debrief slash Sheesh Report. Enjoy the week, everybody, and we'll talk to you again real soon.